Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Femme Radio. Today, I'm going to be trying something a little bit different than what you've normally seen here on Femme Radio. But before that, let's get into some introductions. So, my name is Alexis, and this show, or this episode, I don't really know what it's called right now, but this is called BIPOC Femme Power Hour, tentative, and when I say tentative, I mean like, real tentative, like if you have a better name suggestion, DM me. Um, but for an hour, or a little bit over an hour, let's be honest, not the greatest with time management, I'm going to be taking you through a journey where you will only encounter BIPOC women and femme persons. Sounds like a dream, right? Let's kick it off with Raven Lene. Lene is 24 from Chicago, making progressive and futuristic R&B and pop music. And if you went to Bruin Bash this year, you already know she is a great performer. But if you haven't, she has one of my favorite NPR Tiny Desk episodes that you can watch right now to see all of her amazing talent. Up next on Femme Radio, one of my favorite from her latest albums, Hypnos, which also, if you haven't listen to hypnos go listen to it right now but satellite followed by venom on femme radio
So, the reason I wanted to produce a show like this for fun, and I was super excited and super just, I feel like it was very, very much needed, was because of the way that the music industry treats BIPOC women and femme people. I just from recent developments around what is a genre like who can be in certain genres if you're black or indigenous or another person of color or what is your necessary role in music and I just felt like that wasn't fair to BIPOC women it's not fair to us to be placed in a role within music because there are certain genres that hey I can't lie R&B, hey, black women, you got it. I love it. I really do. But there's a certain, there's a difference between doing something really well and being forced to do something. And so I thought it would be really, 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 really cool if we were able to get a show where we're highlighting BIPOC people, not only in R&B, not only in rap, not only in typical fields where you would necessarily see them, but in all different lights of music, in all different genres, from classical to metal to R&B, hip-hop, pop, all the, all the other genres you can think of, I'm looking for. So if you have a recommendation for a person you want to see on the show, please, please, please DM me. I'm so serious. But I talked to, I thought it would be really, really good to get a sort of person who's been studying things like this for a while on the show because like I said, I'm not a professional. The show is basically just things that I like, things that I want to see, people I want to hear. Um, but I thought it would be super dope to get somebody here who knows about the music industry, knows about, you know, the troubles that BIPOC women face in the music industry. So I interviewed assistant professor Catherine Provisano for the show. And yeah, super excited to have Catherine here. Um, professor Provisano is like super amazing. She's teaching like classes right now. And I was just, I'm so grateful that she was able to get on the show and like help me with my interview. So yeah, I'm going to present, um, also this interview was done via Zoom. She is not here live in studio. Uh, we couldn't make that happen, but up next on Femme Radio, Professor Provisano's interview. Stick to it. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Catherine Provenzano. I'm an assistant professor of musicology and music industry in the UCLA uh, Herb Alpert School of Music. Um, and I, I joined the School of Music in 2020. So kind of in the midst of the pandemic, I was coming from New York, where I did my doctoral work. And my doctoral work focused mainly on the um, audio plugins, autotune and melodyne. So my dissertation is about pitch correction and the kind of politics of that practice in the contemporary pop world. And that study kind of brought me to lots of um, other issues in the music industry, including um, gender inequality and how that kind of links up with vocality in really interesting ways. So I've been working on that project for a while, among other um, projects that kind of engage the the ways that tools are used, the ways that um, work environments affect 
creative practice in the music industry and things like that. So that's some of my work. I'm also a singer and a songwriter and performer. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Also, mm -hmm. checked out your singing. You are phenomenal. I will. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Wow. Yeah. Um, You're so one I of my we're... like 10 monthly listeners then on Spotify. Then. Hey, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited so to have happy. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to be there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess my first question would be to you what is the overall like study of ethnomusicology mm -hmm. and what is it focused on? Yeah, absolutely. So ethnomusicology is a kind of really interesting discipline that's gone through lots of changes since its inception, like many academic disciplines. Um, and it's largely a space in which people study musics of the world. So um, popular music, uh, music that's not necessarily in the Western canon, um, and all sorts of exciting projects around work like that. My ethnomusicological work actually kind of kept me here in the United States. So I did a project that was ethnographic, meaning that I used ethnographic methods. So I interviewed people, I spent time in studios, I was doing what's sometimes called participant observation. So watching people work and um, getting to know people in their kind of like work environments, um, based on the questions that I had. And those methods, though, I didn't um, go to another country to do my project, um, those methods kind of are the underpinning of what made it an ethnographic work. So it was interesting to kind of do a project on the pop music that I was sort of living and breathing and swimming in um, and to kind of interrogate my own position as a researcher as I was looking at, at things I was listening to, you know, outside of a research context. But that was really exciting to me because I felt like that gave me a chance to um, really offer something to the project that a, a kind of perspective that was both personal and um, and academic and scholarly. So ethnomusicology has so many um, opportunities within it in terms of what kinds of work you might want to do. And um, scholars have taken it in many different directions. And right now is kind of an exciting moment for that field, I think, because it's um, it's in some ways maturing and changing and uh, asking different kinds of questions. Awesome, thank you so much. Now we're yeah. gonna focus particularly on your research. So yeah. one, the two articles you sent me were phenomenal. I learned so much in such <laughs> little time. That was amazing. But um, in your article, Melodized Nature, mm -hmm. you talk about how um, the software, like sound mm. um, software, like Melodyne and Autotune, you highlight the fact that hip hop autotune warriors like T Pain are feminized for their melodic raps. Can you explain why this is and what does it mean to have a feminized mm. or a feminine yeah. like, point of view of music? Absolutely. And um, thank you for that question. So I would just start out by saying, like, of course, um, the, that critique is not to uh, confirm any sort of essentializing about what it means to sound like a woman or what it means to sound like a man. In a lot of my research, I am I'm kind of probing at the critiques that people uh, put forward in order to address something that I think usually is something that makes them anxious. So when T Pain um, kind of popularized his 
style of melodic rapping in the mid aughts um, in the early 2000s, uh, there was obviously some pushback. And we can like think of a few examples like Jay-Z's song Death of Autotune is one. But there are others too where um, rappers and and fans who were not used to hearing that kind of sound in in a in a hip hop song were kind of upset about this melodic style uh infiltrating um a genre that was sort of known for um known for doing something else <laughs> known for not exactly seizing melody as the main kind of central focus and um one of the ways that that critique was made was to kind of make fun of t-pain for sounding um feminine so death of autotune has a few lyrics in it which kind of explicitly deride t-pain for you know not being manly enough or you know that he's supposed to pull his skirt back down and and start yeah. like rapping again so that's one thing i think this has morphed a lot since the early 2000s and it's not as much of a critique that's waged anymore but it's still kind of floating around it's like if if someone doesn't like your style, one easy and very tired critique to make is to say that you sound like a girl. And what we can read underneath that is that somehow in that value system to sound like a girl is a bad thing. So then we can ask, well, why? And, you know, that those those are questions that kind of lead us to these long histories of 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 these uh, stereotypes. Yeah, I was um, in regards to current artists today. And this is just like a personal uh like a personal question i guess i don't know if i'll feature it yeah. on the show but um in regards to ours today like one of the main melodic rappers were, who was coming up in the aughts when i was mm. i don't know in middle school elementary yeah. Yeah. Is, was drake and now drake's yeah. one of the leading rappers and yes do you feel like do you feel like his feminization from the aughts is still around? Do you mm. feel like it's gotten better or worse for melodic rappers and yes. specifically male rappers? Yeah, this is such a really, really interesting question. Actually, one I'm kind of in the middle of writing about right now, because um, I'm trying to think about the genre of emo rap and and the sort of meanings that get attached to that genre and the sort of style of singing within it. But Drake is such a kind of central figure to um this shift in in hip-hop sound and yes of course he often gets derided for being either too emotional or um too soft these kind of like feminized barbs that that get thrown at him but of course his position is complex too because he um while he kind of makes makes popular this style of melodic singing or at least not makes it popular so much as he just has an enormous amount of success. So he gets paid a lot of money and like his songs circulate really, really widely. And he becomes this figure of, um, you know, a softer side of, of hip hop, so to speak. Uh, that, that softness is not necessarily met by, uh, what we might call good, good gender politics. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it, it's a funny, there's a friction there, right? Um, and and obviously his, Drake's assu- assuming of of this persona of a of a little bit of a you know melancholy, um, forlorn in love, but still sort of playboy figure that serves him well. You know, there's a market for that, is what we can see. Is that there are a lot of people interested in consuming that sound and that that persona. So I right now I'm kind of just thinking about, I'm like asking why, um, and also looking at other influences, like even Kanye West's, um, 808s and Heartbreak, which introduces, you know, melody in a really interesting way and 
uses auto-tune a lot, kind of in the fashion that T-Pain used it, even though uh, West often makes fun of T-Pain for his sound, um, which is a kind of... Funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, or somebody like Kid Cudi, who wasn't exactly quite in the mainstream, um, but now is having a bit of a resurgence um, mm-hmm. as as somebody who is is heard as a rapper. But, you know, the other question I have is like, is you and you use the term um right in the question this this term melodic rap which when i was a kid wasn't a term at all so there was not a a distinction between melodic rap and other rap you know so that's kind of a new distinction that's grown up i would say in the last 10 to 15 years yeah yeah um further in your article Hamfield's familiar sound which has to be one of the like I I keep praising you because you deserve so much praise this <laughs> article was so good um, oh man thank you, you Alexis you're so welcome uh you talked about how um in Hamilton which I never really noticed till you pointed out uh female characters do not rap yeah um and you speak about how female rappers have always played second fiddle to their male counterparts and if they do rap, it has to be conservative, i.e., you know, rapping about sex, drugs, and other right. things like their male counterparts. Right. But you bring up the fact that um, in pop music, white women also rap about, or not rap, but sing about sex, drugs, and yeah. other things like that. So why do you think pop music has a more, why do you think it's more like, why can we take it in better through pop music than we mm. would be able to through rap music? Is there a racial oh, thing wow. going on there? Is there, how do you that's feel about that? That's such a good question. That's, that's like, yeah, that, and I think you're really onto something there. Um, well, first I think it's interesting that we even, I think implicitly pop and rap are gender are uh, racially coded. So we think of pop as like belonging to white people and rap as belonging to black people. Um, and that pop is this kind of like mainstream, more naturalized uh, genre in which white people dominate, even though, of course, it's built up by by people of all ethnicities. Um, so the point that I was trying to make about, um, you know, white women either singing or sometimes rapping about sex or about drugs or about any kind of like licentious behavior things that are things that are kind of outside of the realm of the most polite topics um that the difference i think is that the package that it's put in so the way that it sounds is more palatable to uh an audience who might have anxieties about how race works in the us so as soon as you hear a rap sound the the rap sound insofar as that's coded black and for some people that blackness may produce anxiety or resistance um especially when black women are presenting material that's you know uh implicitly or explicitly sexual um that all of a sudden it oh, it's open to critique whereas if it is in a package it's a little bit more um let's say it's not exactly polite is not the word I want, but it's more um, highbrow. So this this music is art and this music isn't art. So as so uh, long as you okay. align with some kind of art, then you can sort of you can get any any topic in there. And also just simply that white women are not as subject to critique uh, in comparison to black women and 
women of other ethnicities whose, um, you know, phenotypic presentation just opens them up to, to all sorts of critique that don't, that just doesn't exist for white women. Navigation was my biggest takeaway from that portion of the conversation with Professor Provenzano. How do you, as a BIPOC femme-presenting person, navigate an industry where artistry allows you to speak your mind, speak your piece, but you will never be seen as artists? How do you go to your job? How do you write? How do you express yourself? knowing that your art will never be appreciated as much as somebody who has a lighter skin than you, somebody who has less ethnic features as you, somebody who will never have to worry about whether their music is considered art. And this conversation about around navigation and around genre and around what is considered an appropriate package for BIPOC women to deliver their music in just made me a little bit mad and a little bit ticked off. So next on Femme Radio, I'm going to feature rock artists and these two women are from the UK. They go under the name of the Nova Twins. They're composed of Amy Love and Georgia South. I got this recommendation from two of our own members of Femme Radio, Tia and Kelsey. So thank you guys so much for that. Um, But I think it will just express everything I feel right now. Surrounding not being seen as artists in a artistic field. So next on Femme Radio, Playfair, followed by Antagonist by the Nova Twins.
Well, this is the, you know, the BIPOC Power yeah. Hour Fem show. Yeah. So I have to ask the BIPOC question. Please. Following that one. Um, so recently, well, not very recently, like a year ago, Doja Cat made a lot of noise on specifically Twitter for being nominated for the best R&B album. Mm-hmm. If you have heard Planet Her, it is arguably not an R&B album. <laughs> so, I wanted to ask, why do you believe that BIPOC women who make music other than R&B are placed yes. in categories like this? And is do you believe it's perpetrated by the music industry? So, so, yes, I do. And I think, you know, when we think about the music industry, um, this is, and I, I'm just going to accompany your wonderful example with the fact that Justin Bieber also complained about not getting nominated for an R&B record in that year, I believe. Um, because <laughs> I'm it, sorry, so he, I didn't mean to he, laugh. No, it, it is funny, though. So he was nominated in, in the pop category, and he was upset about that because he said, like, I, I worked so hard to make this an R&B sound. But right. it shows just how deeply embedded race is in genre. Um, and so, yes, I think that this is perpetuated by the music industry. And not we can't kind of think of the music industry as, as abstract or not, not consisting of people, right? So right. though it is a kind of like collective force in the, in the sense that it's a lot of actors working together. Um, it's also a lot of individuals and individuals making choices about uh, how to taxonomize and characterize uh, the music that is being made today. But in particular for, for Black women making music, um, getting branded as R&B, that is R&B. There's, there's a really wonderful scholar named uh, Alex Wahillier who writes about how the genre of R&B is kind of... Um, implicitly feminized always so to right. make r&b music is is sort of a feminine thing to do but doja cat's album was like <laughs> yeah it didn't sound like r&b to me either but it it shows the kind of limits of our imagination that we we are so inclined to reproduce the same um organization and categorization even if uh the material doesn't present itself as such so I think for black women who are performers and, you know, whether hybrid like rappers, singers, et cetera, we're so used to having black women be singers and be kind of powerful in the R&B genre that we sort of slate them in very comfortably to R&B, regardless of the kind of music that they're making. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I was just so very curious about that. Mm. Um, also, this is just a follow-up question regarding sound. Please. Um, you highlight that software such as Autotune has become like synonymous with being a Black sound. Yeah. Um, how do we label something? Because I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. When I thought of Autotune, I was like, immediately, I knew who I was thinking of. But um, right. how, do, how do we as humans label sounds as mm. racially or fem or like gendered how do we do that mm. this is an amazing question like the, i think probably a whole seminar could be built around exactly the question that you just raised uh there i have a colleague in my department nina eidsheim who writes really eloquently about this um and they're really complicated and long histories to untangle but one one um tool that she gives us in her in her writing is to 
sort of flip the question around. So instead of, um, instead of thinking like that sounds are in any essential way, uh, like that they belong to a gender or ethnicity or a race that we, the way that we hear sounds actually tells us a lot about us. So um, that it can be informative to kind of interrogate our own listening and our own biographies to think like, well, why do I hear it like that? And when we ask why, then we start to look at all the kinds of um, non-explicit training that we get to hear sounds in particular ways. So another example that maybe would like flesh this out is when we hear an electric guitar, for instance, or if in various historical contexts, when we hear electric guitar, it's a sound that we associate or would probably associate with a male player, right? And the reason for that is we see a lot of male players playing the electric guitar, the kind of titans of the instrument that we hold up as like heroes and virtuosos, et cetera, um, are largely male. Um, those histories are changing. And so there's invisible, like the, the women who have played the electric guitar are kind of invisible in that. But there's just a lot of information that that comes at us that kind of teaches us how to hear um, sounds. And I think that extends also to technologies and, and to techniques. So um, while genre really plays a role here, uh, I think criticism plays uh, a, a big important role too. And um yeah among other kind of large historical forces i think i want to say that was all the questions that i had for you (laughs) now here's a pop quiz question okay Um, it's not a a pop quiz but Mm -hmm. so this being the bipoc woman friend presenting power hour i would like to ask you do you have any recommendations Mm. on bipoc women or femme presenting persons in music that we can play for the radio yeah i do i have a few um of things that i've been into recently though i admit my listening has dipped a little bit because i have a one-year-old so lately i haven't been like (laughs) up on the charts but I have a few um, artists who I've been really into or, you know, lately and for a couple of years. Um, Angelica Garcia is one. She's an amazing artist who kind of I do, definitely defies genre barriers, um, who's just a wonderful, like, electric performer as well. So I would check out her stuff. Uh, I've been into this group Combo Chimbita, which is like a um, I believe that they're Colombian, but I have to check. Um but there's like a lot of kind of cumbia influence in their work and uh, super like cool eclectic sound that um, that I think is like just completely full of art and um, amazingness. Uh, I've also been really into 070 Shake for the last couple of years. Oh, love um, them. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really good stuff in that. Like in, in terms of like a world of sound, I think that their sound is really really phenomenal um yeah so those are some off the top of my head i guess um no that's actually that's a fair amount yeah (laughs) another you know what if i could also do a a historical throwback i would Uh maybe recommend listening to laverne baker who um is an artist who was so important to the beginning of rock and roll but is has been largely forgotten since um since her career unfolded 
and I think now is kind of being uh, recuperated by by um, scholars interested in her life. So, including um, a scholar who who I worked with uh, when I was doing my doctoral work, uh, Maureen Mann. So Laverne Baker's uh, songs are really great, and she deserves more radio play. Yep, and she will definitely be on this radio. <laughs> <laughs> great. I just want to say thank you so much to Professor Catherine Prevazano again for doing this interview with me and doing my first interview with me. I'm so, so grateful, especially because I know you have class and you mentioned your baby and I'm just super, super, super grateful that you were able to come and shed a light on some really important topics that I think will be like super, super beneficial for everybody to know like here. Um... So, next, from Professor's own list, we're going to be looking at Cambo Chambita, which is, they are a band um, from New York, and they produce Colombian, they're originally all from Colombia, but they produce kind of this interdisciplinary fusion uh, Colombian beat rock pop like super super cool music so um yeah and their lead their frontman is a beautiful woman her name is carolina um and yeah next on bipoc fem power hour
Okay, we're at the end of the show. It was really, really fun rocking with you guys, I'm not gonna lie. Like, okay, I'm gonna be real with you, this kind of feels like the situation like the teachers had when nobody's camera was on. Like, I understand completely how they feel now, cause like I just said, I, I was having fun rocking with you, ain't nobody here. Anyways, besides the point, I know you're gonna be here, right? You're gonna be here soon. Anyways, last artist that I get to present, which I'm super, super, super excited about. Um, but before that, I was so serious about y'all DMing me about this name. I'm not creative. So if you have another name, please DM me. My Instagram is Alexis, A-L-E-X-U-S underscore OK, literally an O and a K, underscore. Please DM me with some names. Oh, and also, if you have like a recommendation on an artist you want featured on here, because hopefully this is not my last show, like, I'm gonna make it so it's not my last show. I'm so serious about this. Um, DM me, please, for recommendations. I love getting into new music and I love every single genre. I'm not kidding. Um, the next artist we have, her name is Dizzy Faye. I love Dizzy so much. Dizzy makes every single type of music. Like, she makes house, alternative, R&B. Like, you want it, Dizzy got it. So please check out Dizzy's stuff. But I'm going to play my two favorite songs by her. Cosmic Love, followed by Body Move. Last songs on Femme Radio. On this show. For this episode. Not the last songs ever. I swear. I promise. Pinky swear. Bye, y'all. feel masculine yeah you want to feel heavy but your body's not ready yeah you're driving at 70 i don't want to see you damaged i don't you don't want to see me unbalanced who does yeah you want to feel special you don't want to feel digital you don't want to be scripted you want to say what you feel when you feel it I get it, you just don't know how to do it
Just. 